episode of Anne Asks, a podcast where I, your host, Anne Lee, attempt to uncover genuine human stories by bringing on a variety of interesting guests and interviewing them. Today, the date of recording is July 2nd, 2020, and I have a guest here with me, and her name is Denai Zanthi. Hi! Hi! Did I say your name correctly? It's been a long time since I pronounced it out loud. Um, the, the first name, yes. The last name, it, it's pronounced within, as an, as a Xanthi, but it's okay. I mean, oh, Xanthi. So how about you introduce yourself a little bit, who you are, where you're from? So, um, my name is Anai, as Anne told you guys. Um, I'm from Greece originally, but I live in Cyprus. Um, I'm in Greece currently, and... Uh, apologies for the um, sound of the road. I can't do anything about it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm 18 years old. I still go to school. Um, I haven't um, missed a year. It's just the Cypriot system is a bit weird. Where so. in Greece are you right now? I'm in Athens. Um, you were born in Athens, right? I, I was, yes. And where in Cyprus do you live usually? Uh, I live in Nicosia. It's the um, oh. capital. Yeah. Uh, so, how's life right now? What are you up to? <laughs> how's life? Um, well, I wish I could do an internship here. Mm. I was looking into it, um, sending my CV and uh, creating contacts or with contacts that I already have. But the thing was that people aren't really interested in that right now because they already not they already have their staff working part-time so as to avoid um a lot of lots of people in the office so they don't want interns yeah um so i i don't think i'm doing that at the end of the day i might i might go to a bank in cyprus at the end of the summer or beginning of september but it's not going to be related to legal issues that much what kind of internship were you interested in? I would love to have gone in Coca-Cola um, Greece. The... It's in it's, um, the representatives of Coca-Cola. Oh, just in Coca-Cola. That's so crazy. That's so interesting. And you wanted to go into the what department? The, their legal department. Wow. So cool. And I want to ask you how... How did um, the COVID-19 hit Europe? Because I, I was talking to people from the States and in Asia, but I haven't had a European perspective yet. It's going to differ a lot if you ask me or if you ask someone from Italy or Spain. Mm. Because Greece and Cyprus both handled the situation very, from, from a very early stage. And that showed in the end because even though our lockdown started um, early March, um, the cases we had both in Greece and in Cyprus, I, actually they were proportional because Cyprus is 10 times smaller than Greece. And I was noticing that in the news, every time um, if, if Greece had 50 cases, Cyprus had five or six. Mm. Um, so um, anything it all has to do with the fact that we both um, started taking measures around the same time. So we managed to contain um, the virus at the same rate, almost. Um, for me, quarantine was kind of strict because nobody went out. People were actually afraid. So I had friends who went out for rides or something, but very few. I, I would expect m many more people to break the quarantine or go out um, I think in Greece that happened more, M more people went out, um, but it wasn't anything crazy like a walk at the beach or I I'll go to my friend's house, pick them up and take a walk or something. Now it's like everybody's forgotten the existence of the virus. It's a bit sad, but on the other hand, we can't live in a bubble. Mm. We can't. What what kind of things did you do when you were in quarantine? You still had school, but how did you spend your time? I still had school, which finished at 1.30 p.m. So I had oh. all day 
I had some extra lessons and some, I filled my time with catching up because I had taken a lot of trips this year um, and missed a lot of school. So I took the time to catch up as best as I could because studying when everybody's finishing Netflix and I also wanted to start on my courseworks because I'm going to have two coursework assignments next year and that's going to be a lot of work. Um, what else did I do? Oh, I did an online course. I, I, I got ahead on my reading, my books, the books I want to read. Um, I think that's it. Oh, and I took care of myself. Everything I always said I don't have time to do, like do face masks or um, hair masks or anything like that. I was like, okay, you're going to do it now. <laughs> that's great. And what is um, school in Cyprus like? Is it much different from like the traditional American system? It I know very little about the uh, school system in America. Mm. Uh, but in Cyprus, normally the public schools follow the Greek system, system um, which is very broad. You do a bit of every subject and you have no choice whatsoever on what you do. Then in the second grade of high school, you get to pick a general category and you follow that, but also doing the rest of the subjects. So you can't choose not to do a subject. Mm. I've not followed that system because my school in Cyprus is a private school. So we do the English system, which is IGCSEs and then A-levels. Oh, the British system. Yes. Wow. So is that, do you like that system? Is that comfortable for you? In the beginning, I didn't like it because I found it too, I found it had too much depth for our age. Mm. choosing subject and closing doors from a young age I don't really believe in that mm. I think education should be broader for as long as they can hold it and then be more specialized mm. um, so I think for me because I, I, I chose my subjects not randomly but without having a career in mind I chose with the subjects based on what subject I like. And I think that's why the system worked for me. What kind um, of subjects were you involved in? So for my IGCSEs, I did um, history, Spanish, global perspectives, biology. You're obliged to take a science. So my science was biology. It's not like I like biology. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and the obligatory subjects are, are math, English language, and English literature, and oh. Greek. Oh, that's cool. Do you, so um, in Cyprus, they speak Greek, is the same language? They speak Greek, yes, but they have, um, you know how it's like with people in Spain and people speak Spanish, but in Latin America? Oh, yeah, different. The yeah. accent is different. I wanted to talk about um, how we met. It was through the UPenn summer program that we were both in. And I think you were the only person in the entire program who took the same exact courses as me. So I was wondering, yeah, I was wondering what interested you um, to take those two courses. Uh, it was public speaking and anthropology. Yeah. Um, so for public speaking, um, I always like to speak and my friends tell me I talk a lot in general Same. <laughs> but I think I chose it because I know that I can th that there's always room for improvement mm. and I think that speaking in a way that's impactful I think that's a very important skill no matter what you do in the future and going to a summer program I wanted to do something general for example I don't think they had law but if they did, I don't think I would choose it mm. Mm -hmm. because I think it's worth it to explore other things that you're not going to do at university. Um, and then anthropology, I chose it because it, it, again, it's very broad. It's very general and it's a little bit of everything. 
I was also curious to know what it is because I've never actually seen it at school or studied anything like it. And I remember you asked the question at the end of the course. Um, so then I, I remember exactly the words you used, but you said something like, um, so at the end of the day, what is anthropology used for? I mean, it's other sciences and humanities combined. And I wanted to ask the same question so bad, but I just, I felt bad for him. Because Why? talking passionately about anthropology and about his monkeys and about his, I don't remember. Monkeys? What I remember his monkeys. <laughs> the whole slideshow with the pictures of the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> Our um, lecturer or professor, he, he did a lot of studies on um, monkeys and stuff in the Amazon or something. So yeah, he was very passionate about his monkeys. <laughs> Why did you feel bad for him? Because he seemed to, he had studied anthropology and he seemed to really believe that it was the science or the, and by the end of the course, don't get me wrong, I loved the course, but at the end of the day, it, it was um, medical anthropology, economic anthropology, environmental anthropology. Okay, but isn't there economics? Isn't there environmental sciences? Isn't there medicine? which of course deals with the ethical aspect, which is the anthro aspect, but <laughs> I, I didn't get it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but it was an interesting course. I'm glad I took it. Same, me too, me too. Which one, which one did you like better, public speaking or anthropology? Hmm. Um, I liked the teacher better in public speaking. And that plays a role for me. For me it's important to for me to be engaged in the course so if you asked me then i'd say public speaking if you ask me now i would maybe say anthropology because i recently uh, found a file on my laptop named anthropology and i clicked on it and i saw them the notes that i was taking and I actually sat down and read them because they were so interesting and I had forgotten like the little details that he showed us and the podcasts and um, everything. It was very, it was like, actually really interesting. Me too. I really liked anthropology because I thought it was a very interesting introduction because um, same as you, I took the course to kind of see what it was like. Uh, it was a lot of uh, new information. So it was really fun, but also it was kind of hard. I thought it was especially the reading, it was very difficult to understand. But for the overall experience, um, just in general, the academic and residential experience um, in the summer mm -hmm. program at UPenn, uh, what did you think about it? What did you gain from it or what? Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. I mean, being for the residential part, being uh, without my family for two weeks and, somewhere so far away. Um, I absolutely loved it. I mean, meeting new people, meeting you, having a friend in South Korea, um, having friends in, in the US, having friends in everywhere, basically. I mean, I, it, it's, it's completely amazing if you think about it. Was mm -hmm. it your first time in um, like a residential summer camp? Um, I think so, yes. And if if I if it's the second time, I think I had been in a summer camp in Greece, but I was not at an age to take subjects like that. So that type of summer camp course, school, whatever, it was my first, yeah. And it was very different being on my own and being with my parents and having a family vacation and then being on my own, having to having to figure out how the washing machine works, um, what to eat. Um, how to use our kitchen, how to um, divide the fridge between the four of us. Uh, it, it, it really was amazing. Yeah. Do you guys actually cook stuff in the kitchen? We tried. <laughs> we failed. And then what we did was we, we burned marshmallows. We roasted oh, marshmallows. Oh, we were on the fire. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. But there's still a stain there. We've left our mark in the room. 
we tried to clean it. But. So I also wanted to ask you a little bit about um, what's it like living in uh, both Greece and Cyprus, uh, especially because, as you already know, I'm really interested in uh, like Greek mythology, ancient history, and I was wondering um, if that uh, concept that um, Greece and Cyprus, they're the birthplace of classical antiquity and arguably Western civilization. Does that um, idea affect you day to day living it, living there, or not as much? It it does, but not in a way you'd think. So um, we're really proud of our heritage as um, as Greeks, I'll say. Um, but unfortunately, we have a lot less things to be proud of from our present. And some people don't really understand that and stay in the past. And they're like, oh, Greeks are the best because so many years ago. I think um, we learned a lot about uh, ancient Greece. And I think it's very important that in our schools we do ancient Greek because it's not that hard for us to learn it and it's something that's a very, a very nice skill to have in terms of history. Um, and it also helps you speak better Greek and write better Greek. But I think our school system has tried a lot to engage um, that classical antiquity and those elements in its curriculum. Not so much the my school in Cyprus because that's British, but the, the school I was in here, we did ancient Greek a lot at the very high level since a young age. And we did a lot of history on um, the Greek civilization. I'm not sure how they're called in English, in English but the, the Minoids and... Oh, the Minoids, yeah. Yes, okay, that's it. Um, yeah, and I actually visited um, some of their caves in Crete uh, last week, which was very interesting. That's also one thing I wanted to ask you about is just being in that location itself is, do you get to see a lot of, you know, ancient heritage and ancient sites that, you know, you wouldn't normally? Yes, yes, I mean, definitely. I, I take the subway to a lot of places right now because um, I'm here without my family. My family is still in Cyprus, most of them anyway. Uh, my immediate family, I mean. And so I take the subway to everywhere I go, basically. And there are so many stations which, because the subway is underground, they have uh, discovered um, either statues or sculptures, and they're displayed there in the subway. And you see it when you pass by and stop in that station. So, I mean, you, you, you can feel it, that it's, it's Greece. Um, and the, the whole thing, I mean, there's a myth for everything in Crete. I went there with um, a friend of mine who, who has a summer house there. And she knew every myth. She was like, look, there's these holes in the wall. That, that's not actually a myth. I think I, that, that's proven. The holes in the mountains, they're graves of, um, of people in ancient Crete. And they used to believe that the higher up you were in social hierarchy, the higher you should be in the mountain to be closer to God. And she, she always kept telling me that sort of thing. And it was amazing. It was really amazing. That is incredible. Um, how about uh, just day-to-day -day life in um, either Greece or um, Cyprus? Do you, are there any fun places that you normally go to? Or what, what are like the hot spots in where you live? the hot spots okay so in greece um for for the summer there is um there's a place which is really close to the it's on the beach and it's a very small city there is no there's restaurants there's cafes there's a square a city square but there's no shopping malls and that sort of thing so it's relatively small i used to live there actually when i was in greece um, and it's in the tip of Athens. It's called Vuliarmeni. Um, 
And in the summer, there's so many clubs, there's so many beach bars, there's so many amazing locations where people love to go, even if it's an hour away from their house, which is not considered a lot here because if you, if you live in the north of Athens, then going to the south of Athens is like approximately an hour. Um, but yeah, it, a lot of people go there. Uh, for the winter, I think in, in Greece, the hotspots and in Cyprus, the hotspots are mainly clubs and bars. Uh, because other than that, where a lot of people have to go for it to become something, the coffee shops and the, the rest of the things, you can go by yourself or with a friend and it's, it's not that big a difference. And I want to ask you about your name. Um, I was curious, is there a diaresis at the top of the E um, of your name? There should be. There should be for it to be pronounced more like I would pronounce it more like, yeah. But I never use it, mainly because it's going to be very hard um, making making the change in my passport and my ID. And for example, when I, when I go to school, I give them my passport and they are going to create my ID. So it's going to be without the, the thingies on top yeah. at school either. So there's no point in using it some, yeah. Do you know why you were named um, Danai? Is it like, is it, did your parents like that name or where did they get it from? Because I remember when I first met you, I told you that there was a character in Greek mythology. Um, I think she was a Greek princess whom Zeus appeared there to in the yes. form of a shower of gold coins, which is a very striking image that I love. But <laughs> I was wondering your personal name, um, how did that come about? Usually in Greece and Cyprus, people take the names of their grandparents. I don't know if that's a thing in, in South Korea. Um, but um, because my parents are both the youngest of their families, the names had been passed on. So they had the chance to actually pick names. And I don't think they would have given us, me and my sister, the names of our grandparents because they're a bit more liberal on that um, front. So they, they did a lot of research. They had my cousins write them lists because the internet was not as much used in that day. So they had my cousins writing them lists of names and my mom was highlighting uh, to find a name that they agreed on. And they liked, they both liked Danai. So here I am. One thing that when I first heard from you that I found so fascinating is you speak a lot of languages. How many was it? Uh, I speak French and Spanish and then English and Greek. How do you say hello my name is um, Danai in Greek. We don't say though, that was a direct translation. Um, we usually say Melene, so I'm called Danai. Oh. And how did you learn Spanish and French? I've been studying French since the fifth grade of elementary school and it was compulsory. But um, after Cyprus, I chose to do it because I had the option to leave it. I don't, I don't like leaving things unfinished. Mm, yeah. And especially languages because if you do a language and then you lose contact with it it's like you're back to square one after a year but actually french might prove to be very useful for me uh, at the end of the day especially with the rising uk fees and spanish it was i chose it because i always loved i used to watch patty patito feo and i don't know it was popular in europe it was a spanish show very trashy but it was like the, the, the type with teenage girls who excluded some and bullied, bullied some and then they had dancing competitions and the very standard plot. Um, so I watched that and I loved the songs and I had learned the songs in Spanish by heart. And now that I know Spanish, I can actually go back, remember the song and say, oh, that's what it meant. And I think in Europe, it's very easier because if you know French, then Spanish is kind of similar. And if you know French and Spanish, then Italian is similar then Portuguese is very similar to Spanish so I think it's easier to go from one to another in Europe. Yeah.
Um, also, I wanted to talk to you about some of the extracurricular activities you do. I know um, that you do MUN. So I was wondering, what's it like doing MUN in Europe, where that's like the hub of UN itself? Is it Belgium that the UN is located? I think so, yes. Do you have any um, special opportunities or activities you can do because of your location? Not really, not as much as I would if I were in another country. Because Cyprus is a very small country and they don't have many UN conferences, so there is one or two in a year. In Greece, there is as many as 20 in a year. Imagine other countries which are even bigger than Greece. So yeah, in Cyprus though, um, our school is the only school that gives the opportunity to um, attend Timon, which is the Hague International Model United Nations. And very, uh, there's a very limited amount of people who can go because it's from all over the world. And obviously, because MUN, you get a country, there's so many countries, so there's so many schools that can go to that. Um, which is, I went there this year, actually, and it was amazing. It was an experience to, I mean, people from all around the world, 4,500 people, um, each a different country and from all over the world. Um, so yeah, MQN in general, it's fun because the one, one of the two MQNs in Cyprus are organized by my school. So we get to organize it as well and help the, the behind the scenes part, the catering, the merchandise. I haven't helped myself because I was a delegate, but many of my friends have been involved in that or in journalism and producing newspapers for That, um, is it called Diamond? Simon. Um, when you, where was it located? Where did you travel to? Hey, Netherlands. Oh, wow. And um, what kind of things did you do there? It, was it just like MUN activities or did you do some other? It was MUN activities, but it was on a much larger scale. Like a committee in MUN, it's usually 40 to 50 people max. There, my committee was 170 people. So it's, it's an experience. I mean, being able to form a team in that and lead a team in that and then speak to all of those and convince 170 people to vote for your resolution. It's, it's, it's fascinating, I think. Yeah. Do you do UN? No, but many of my friends do. And um, I think it, um, in Korea, what we do is I go to an international school, so they either have a conference with just the international schools in Korea, or they sometimes go to the U.S. to do it. So it's I think it's a different system than what you're involved in. But yeah, a lot of my friends really enjoy it. So I was thinking maybe one day. <laughs> maybe you should try it. I, I would suggest you do. And do, are you involved in other activities that I, I'm not aware of? Um, other activities. So there is um, there is something called EYP, which is European Youth Parliament, which is European. Um, and it's very interesting because it's similar to MUN, but very different at the same time. Because you actually work a lot more as a team rather than an individual. You don't represent a country. You represent your own views and you don't produce your own resolution. You have to actually sit and work with a committee and produce a resolution. So it's, it's much more teamwork than MUN. Uh, and it's much more relaxed and fun. So MUN is a lot more, for example, in EYP, you can say I, whereas in MUN, you have to avoid using personal pronouns. Um, I like them both. I love them both. Um, I can't choose between MUN and EYP, but I think, I think they're very different. And because people ask me, oh my God, you do both. Uh, aren't you bored? Isn't it the same thing? It's not really. You seem to be involved in a lot of like international relations, 
um, kind of activities. Do you want, do you plan to go in that direction in the future or are you interested in pursuing that as your career? Um, the short an answer is I don't know. Uh, the longer answer is I think I would like to, but um, I'd love to go into diplomacy. I'd love to, um, I'm going to study law. So after law, I'd love to do a master's on international relations or something along those lines and go into diplomacy maybe. But I'm scared of the um, four years here, four years there. I think that's going to break up my life too much. Out of all the people I know, you seem like you're the one who could do it. <laughs> I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> and um, the last thing I wanted to discuss with you is something I'm really excited to talk about because I'm so curious. Uh, I saw on your Facebook uh, page uh, like a year ago uh, that you were one, for one day you uh, shadowed the UK High Comm Commissioner to Cyprus and his name was Stephen Lilly, is, is that right? How was that experience like and how did, how did you get that opportunity? First, it was nothing like I could have imagined. Um, I got it because the, the UK High Commission in Cyprus, they wanted to promote their gender equality status and they gave women a certain opportunity, a special opportunity to participate in um, an essay competition. And the question wrote, if you were a diplomat for a day, what would you change in the world? Something like that. Um, so we wrote essays and, and sent them by email. I focused mine on education, as cliche as it may sound, um, because it really, go, it really goes full circle. Educated people, um, go to go and study so get they get cultivated further um they they learn about both ups and downs of life and of living and, and then either they go to politics so we which means we, we're gonna have better politicians or they go and do something else but they vote so then again they choose better theoretically so I went along those lines and they liked it a lot. They talked to me about it while there as well, about my views on education and especially how we can promote ed, uh, gender equality in education more. My role there, it was basically to start empowering women, not at a large scale, but through mentoring me and then showing, showing that um, to highlight the opportunities that we can have if we chase them. And that was what the, what the radio program that you saw was about, which me and the High Commissioner went to um, a, a Cypriot radio station and the, um, they took our interview, which was a very interesting experience. And yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, actually. Um, that's so cool that you were um, interviewed in a radio, uh, technically and also uh, just uh, content-wise. How was it? Uh, what did you guys discuss? And um, what was the experience of sitting in like a recording studio? I was very nervous at first. Um, but I think, I think I got the hang of it by by the end so, i think what excited me the most in the interview was not the parts where i spoke because they were pretty basic i mean she tried the woman did her homework and she asked me a lot about myself and my school um but there's not so many interesting things about me when you have the high commissioner next to me i mean so the more interesting conversations were those that she had with the high commissioner and noticing she pushed him actually she um, indirectly she pushed him to talk about brexit and about politics and he didn't want to so uh, what i noticed was the way that he answered was so smart he 
answered her question technically, but he didn't tell her any of the things that she asked him to, to say. So that diplomacy and that diplomatic procedure to actually be good with everyone, but still not do anything that we don't want to, I found it amazing. And on, um, oh, did I say, you wrote a blog post um, that was published in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office editorial um, of the UK. And I read it and you said that uh, one thing you, the major thing you took away from that day is the importance of and power of speech and diplomacy. And that was one example that you um, gave. And uh, what else did you see there that made you realize that? And what about the speech and diplomacy that do you find so important? Uh, another thing I saw, I followed the High Commissioner in many meetings and many um, in the UN headquarters in Cyprus because the UN has a mission in Cyprus, um, which normally people aren't allowed to go. So when I tell my friends, oh, I've been inside the buffer zone, they're like, oh my God. Um, so he met with so many people. And despite, um, actually the only people that we actually had a lot of time to speak with were our lunch, where we were, we, we were eating. So we had time to sit and talk. The rest of the people, we met, we met with them for so little. And that goes back to how important speech is. So if we, if he or the people were beating around the bush on topics besides the point, nothing would ever be achieved. And they had so little time to agree or talk about so many issues. Um, and it, it, again, it's very powerful for someone to be able to do that effectively in such a short period of time. Wow. Um, sitting in meetings with these um, ministers and um, government heads, uh, did, did you notice any pattern of the way they talked or the way they did things, the way they um, sat? <laughs> yeah, so I didn't sit in on all the meetings because some were really confidential. Um, but I sat in on every meeting that had to do with gender equality which was why I was there. Um, and the pattern that, what I told you before, the, the, the diplomatic answers that the high commissioner gave to the radio interview, that applied to the meetings as well. I mean, if, if I listened without listening, I wouldn't have listened to a disagreement the whole, over the whole day. You, you can't find, anyone saying no you're wrong or no I disagree it's gonna be more nicely said nicely put and not just words but it's gonna be offering an alternative offering a compromise a silver lining so it's I think it's very very interesting that I keep repeating interesting because it, it really was um, that you, you can do that so in a way that doesn't really affect your relationship with the other person and that you can come to an agreement with speech. And that's why I think speech is so important. Do you remember some of the things that they discussed regarding gender equality, like specifically? So I remember um, they had asked me on my ideas for programs over the summer to do in order to encourage female empowerment. And I had told them that I had suggested mentoring because I was being mentored at the time by the high commissioner. And I found it inspiring for me. And I thought that would be very effective to other people as well, other young girls. And I, I suggested that there was a national women's mediators network that asked me, I think, um, and I suggested mentoring because I said, you know what, there is a lot of people who, who, important people who will do it for the publicity, but even if they do it for the publicity, the experience is not going to change that much because 
if a young girl has the opportunity to do all of that, I really felt, I really felt empowered. I felt that I could do it too someday if I wanted to. That is incredible. And you also met a, a lot of powerful women in that field. Um, some names that I read on your blog post is Penny Mordaunt and Elizabeth Spahar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing their name right, but um, and they they, uh, they gave you um, some inspirational words. One that struck to me was a woman doesn't have to lead like a man, but with her own experience, instinct, and style. Was that something that someone told you during that day? It was Elizabeth Spahar. Um, she had a meeting with the high commissioner and then of course she sat a bit and talked to, talked to me because I could not participate in the meeting. I was just listening. Um, and she told me that many women fail at leadership or not fail, but don't actually go as high as men in leadership because they have these, um, they have this image in their head of what a leader is. And that's a man's image traditionally. So if that goes away and I mean, we are different in many aspects of our lives and we have to not only understand, but cherish that and actually take it out on the best, the best way we can. She told me um, that I should never sell my, myself short or that to be Penny Mordon, I'm not sure. But then Elizabeth Spehar, she told me um, that I shouldn't aim to mimic how a man leads or how anyone leads for that matter, because each of us are different. And if we find a way that works, and that, that's done, of course, by exploring and experimenting, um, then we're gonna go farther than we possibly can. I think that that's so inspiring. And I also think that one of the reasons why um, like women who enter the, uh, this field of influence they have this pressure or assumption that they have to act a certain way, this masculine role, is because um, uh, they aren't aware of the many female models in the same field as they are that they can look up to. But I, I think what you said about um, having a mentor or someone you can look up to that can really help you find your own voice and your own way of doing things. called a few of my favorite things. Number one is what's your favorite Greek or Cypriot um, dish? Or I also wanted to ask you, are the um, cuisines from Greece and Cyprus different or similar? They are different because I know them too well. Um, if I wasn't Greek, I maybe wouldn't spot all the differences. Um, and there, are, there is also a lot of different dishes because Cyprus is a country which has passed through a lot of um, different cultures, let's say, because Greek, then um, Middle Eastern, then um, Mediterranean, and then British. It, it, so it's got elements from many cultures. And I like food in both countries. I, I'm a bit biased though, because I grew up with my grandma's food and Greek recipes. Um, so for Greek foods that I like, okay, I love two foods. One is the standard souvlaki. It's, it's the standard Greek food, souvlaki and tzatziki, which is like the sauce that you put inside. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing. And the, um, the gyros, when you cut the, the, um, the meat in very small pieces, and then you put it around the, and uh, you put it inside the, the, tortilla-like bread, how should I call it? Yeah, uh, I think it's, it's really nice and that and the fact that we choose what to put inside is nice. Um, now from more traditional, should I say, foods I love, uh, we make something called Viemista, which direct translate, translation, it's, it's filled in, it's like filled in. So it's a vegetable like tomato, um, eggplant, 
um, pepper, bell peppers, and they're filled in with a sauce and rice, and you eat it all together. So I love that. It's very summery. That sounds really nice. Yes, and from the Cypriot cuisine, I love their cheese, their halloumi. Wow, I, lo I love that cheese too. Okay, second one is, what's your favorite language? No, I can't answer that. <laughs> I love Spanish because I love the way it sounds. Um, and I love that it's an easy language, to, not an easy, it's a rewarding language because you can speak it early on at the stage of learning it. Yeah, that's the opposite with French because French is a way harder language to speak. But it's so nice to be. I would love to live in France just so I could perfect my French and speak perfect French. Yeah. Um, because I find French to be such an elegant language, and I like Greek because it's my mother tongue. And I like the fact that in Greek, you can say things. There are words that can't be translated. You can say things in so many ways. And there are, I think there is a word which is called, um, two words actually, meragi and philodimo, which you can't translate in any other language. And that's fascinating. Wow. Can you describe what they mean? Sure. So meragi is like passion and um, will and inspiration to work. So when you work with Meraki, it's like very good uh, attitude, very um, willing, very um, engaged, very um, that sort of thing. And Philotimo, it's, it, it's got to do with dignity and with respect to others. So the, the, the word is composed of and philos and Timi, which is um, a friend of price. So it's like, it's not, it's not money related, but it's, it's got to do with dignity. The fact that you, your responsibility towards the community, towards the other person, towards. Those are beautiful words. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's your favorite subject in class? Oh, um, I like them all. I can't, I really, okay. I love English literature because it's a subject where I learn so much, not only about writing, but about philosophy, about history, about everything related to that. I love history. Half of my history course, I love it a lot because it's Nazi, Nazi Germany and it's really interesting history. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to go into languages because I'd have to choose again. I'm going to say English literature. Who's your favorite historical figure? Or it could be a current world figure. You know, I saw that when you texted me. Um, and I was like, okay, what am I going to say to that? And, and the first thing that came to my mind, maybe because I'm reading um, a, a book of his now, it, it was Plato. Um, because I've been really fascinated by the way that he sees community. I should say. It's also my heritage. I mean, I can't help it. That is a joke. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've, um, it's fascinating that he has grasped some of the issues that even today, a large majority of people can't really understand in practice. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so cool. Um, I haven't read uh, any of his um, stuff directly, but uh, I actually, in the Greek mythology course that I'm taking right now, we're planning to read it um, sometime in the future of the course. Uh, but I think it's so cool how he uses stories and um, tales to um, give a message and to represent something that's really hard to describe um, in logic but it's logical through the story. Okay, last one is, what is your favorite memory from uh, last summer at UPenn? Okay, so uh, I think it was towards the last days of the program when um, my roommates and me decided to walk around campus with face masks on and towels in our heads. And I think I saw you in that day and you were laughing so hard. and. I, th I think you thanked me for making you laugh, something like that. Oh, really? 
<laughs> I don't remember, but and and I said, no, thank you for laughing. <laughs> wow, why, why did you decide to do that? Um, I, I don't remember. Uh, I think we wanted to do a girls' night in our room someday, but then we didn't do it, and we didn't do it, we didn't do it. And um, one thing you said, okay, how about, it's, it's our last days on in campus, we're not going to see anybody of these people, uh, possibly for the rest of our lives. And uh, we don't know anybody else here except the, our friends from the program. Uh, so why not? Another very nice memory is um, when we were studying at the top floor um, with that um, view. Yeah, yeah. I, w I went to um, watch a video with you once and that view. I remember it. Yes, I had told you to come there. It was amazing. Yeah, wow. Like, I never thought, because, you know, Philadelphia is not um, a city that you would think of to be, like, a beautiful city, but just the nightscape with all the lights and the blue, um, dark sky it was really beautiful. Uh, I remember one mm -hmm. thing that was uh, uh, very fun for me was when we went to the Anthropology Museum. Um, even though it was the hottest museum that I've ever been to, oh my God, it was yeah. so hot. there was no air conditioning. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And there was a guy from our class who had interned who there. Who toured that. Yeah, he showed us around and told us like all these secrets. That was really fun. It was. I think he did it only for two of us. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was like our own special tour. It was so fun. Talking to you and catching up with you. And I like catching up with you so much. Um, so my Instagram is D A N A E. It's my name, D A N A E X A N P H I. Uh, feel free to contact us and send us any feedback, questions, and requests at our Instagram at Anne Asks Podcast and Twitter at Anne underscore Avenue. And you can leave a comment on any platform that includes a comment space. So thank you so much today for um, agreeing to be on here. Bye. Sure, sure, sure. Thank you.